Hey, it's Sophia. I'm here with Chloe, our art director at Girl Boss. Hi. So tomorrow's Thanksgiving. It's insane. I'm gonna give you a gift. I'm gonna send you a turkey via ShipStation, my favorite platform for shipping anything and everything online. Wow. Is it raw? Are you gonna cook it? I'll cook first? it. That's so I nice. mean, it it's gonna travel so fast that it's gonna heat up on its way. <laughs> gonna like break the time space continuum and just be like perfectly roasted when it gets to you i mean it's holiday season and for online sellers this is the most important time of the year right and i'm so stoked to be in the business we're in because we don't have to ship anything yeah it's so much better but being an online seller has never been easier and that's thanks to brands like ShipStation. i love ShipStation because getting your orders to your customers before the holiday cutoff deadlines can be so tough and customers can be very angry if things don't come on time. And that's why you need ShipStation.com. It's the fast and easy way to manage and ship your orders all from one place. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds great. Every time that I ship something, I'm always just so surprised when it gets there. I'm like, well, that seems like magic. Well, if you use ShipStation, you're used to it. ShipStation helps you get orders out quickly to keep your customers happy. So whether you're using Shopify, Squarespace, Etsy, BigCommerce, WooCommerce, or over 75 other popular selling channels, ShipStation brings all your orders into one simple interface. And you can make labels from all your top carriers. But with ShipStation, you can choose any of them. And right now, you can try ShipStation free for 30 days and get an additional month free. That's two months free only if you use our offer code GIRLBOSS. Go to ShipStation.com, and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in GIRLBOSS. That's ShipStation.com. Enter GIRLBOSS. S-H-I-P-S-T-A-T-I-O-N.com. Enter GIRLBOSS. ShipStation. Make ship happen. Which is a great tagline. Success. It's such a complicated idea, and yet for so long we've all collectively subscribed to a single definition of the word, which was likely given to us by a white-haired dude somewhere in a boardroom in the 1960s. And there's nothing wrong with that definition, with the notion of climbing a corporate ladder with a singular focus. But it's time to make space for a few other definitions, for side hustles and well-being and failing forward, and for the idea that success is a wild ride, not the destination at the end of it. Join me for a journey into the lives of women who are redefining success and paving the way for others with grit and grace. I'm Sophia Amoruso, the founder and CEO of Girlboss Media, and this is Girlboss Radio. Today's episode of Girlboss Radio features two women I admire with some pretty cool jobs. Girlboss Radio editorial director Jericho is gallivanting around the world somewhere celebrating her birthday. So today I'll be joined by Chloe Parks, art director at Girlboss. Afterwards, we're going to be joined by Kristen Bellstrom, the deputy digital editor at Fortune magazine. At Fortune, Kristen is responsible for the magazine's coverage of women's issues, including Fortune's daily newsletter, The Broadsheet, and Fortune magazine's Most Powerful Women Next Gen Summit. One of the most amazing things about covering particularly women in these Fortune 500 companies, CEOs of these Fortune 500 companies, is it's just completely shocking how rare it is still. In the Fortune 500 this year, we had an all-time high of 32 female CEOs out of 500. 
it just drives home for me every day. It's really so incredibly rare for women to get those roles. And, you know, we need to remind people of that all the time. She's also part of the team that selects women for Fortune's annual Most Powerful Women list. She spends her days mining for stories that are shaping our lives and shining her powerful spotlight on the women who are making great professional strides. So many of the huge stories that are happening right now are related to women and often women in the workforce. So you're seeing, I think, basically every news outlet staffing up and thinking about you know, coverage of gender and and women and women in the workforce as really important issues and things that they should be covering. But to me, that feels very new. Uh, That that kind of didn't really feel like it existed when I first started. Today, we'll talk to her about the notion of power, what it means to be powerful, and what she has learned from the women she has encountered throughout her career. Since I took this job, honestly, power has become a much more positive word for me sort of like the same with ambition. Like, I think now I totally own those terms in a way that maybe I would not have, let's say, five years ago. But first, Chloe Parks, other known as Clob on Instagram, <laughs> our art director, is here. Hey, Chloe. Hi, Sophia. Um, how are you? I am doing great. I'm excited to be here today. Yeah? I'm breaking out, so it's good that it's, oh, you yeah. know, audio only. I know. Yeah, that's the best <laughs> thing about podcasts is, like, you can just, like, wear your pajamas and sound, like, super great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm breaking out, too. I, I don't know what's like, going on. What it's very do to frustrating. Myself? I know my whole, yeah, it's not I play fiddle-faddle with my skin. <laughs> Chloe, what are you excited about right now as the art director at Girl Boss? Okay, well, we just had an amazing meeting with our um, web development design team. Our new website is fully under underway. The progress is just amazing. It's about to be the coolest, most beautiful, easy to use, fabulous website. I'm so excited. And that's because of your direction. I mean, I'm so excited. They wouldn't have gotten there without your references and guidance, but it is really beautiful. Yeah, it's great. It's really nice to be able to work with a company that totally like understands what we're saying. It's just going to be so good. I can't wait. And we're relaunching that sometime in early 2018. Yeah. Yeah, so look forward to that. How great was the Girl Boss Rally? It was so fun. I'm just still on a high. Yeah, it was bonkers. It couldn't have been better. And one of our partners was Pinterest, who has just been such a lovely, lovely partner to us at Girl Boss, making it possible to, you know, employ people like Chloe (laughs) and rebuild (laughs) websites and have a podcast and buy pizza for the team once in a while. And if you guys don't know, this has been going for a little while and it's going to keep going for a little while. Every week we encourage our listeners and ourselves to try new things. What used to be known as hump day (laughs) has now been christened with the hashtag what if Wednesday. And, And Wednesdays are now a day for making small life changes that'll lead to big results. When you use the hashtag and participate each week, you're doing yourself more of a solid than you even realize. You're giving yourself the chance to win a signed copy of the new, amazing, fun, interactive Girlboss workbook, be featured on girlboss.com and on our social media, and you could even win a ticket to the next Girlboss rally in March in 2018, which is huge because it's guaranteed to be just it's gonna the be, best They thing just ever. keep getting better. Exactly. Yeah. So here's how to play. We ask that you try a new thing and 
get out there, actually try it, document it, and 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 we're gonna do it too. So you can follow my social club, C H L O B. I'm Sophia Russo. We're doing it on the Girl Boss Social, and this time it's about productivity. So how are you gonna boost your energy today? Well. You could start in your lunch break. We're going to ask you to invest in yourself and make your desk lunch more delicious. So, you can uh, take a look at our What If Wednesday board to see some quick cooking hacks that you can incorporate into your work week by using hashtag What If Wednesday, hashtag Girl Boss Radio, and hashtag My Pinterest on Instagram. Share those pictures of your desk drawer spices, microwave hacks, and mason jar snacks. So whatever Instagrammable thing you have, whether it's Daily Harvest or a Kind Bar or, I don't know, just a really beautiful cup of pho, take a picture of it. Use the hashtag WhatIfWednesday, hashtag GirlBossRadio, hashtag MyPinterest, and you can win one of these amazing prizes. Okay, so it says me undies here. Sophia, what is that? Me undies? You haven't seen? Oh my gosh. I know I'm a loser. Okay, <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you a little bit about me undies. I'm going to tell you a holiday story. Ooh. Every year, millions of people receive the least liked gift of all time underwear. But we still give it to our family members and our loved ones who just don't want it. It's weird. I mean, mine won't even fit in a stocking stuffer. But maybe it's not that underwear is a problem. It's the kind of underwear. Underwear can be cool. Underwear can be fun. Underwear can be comfortable. Underwear can be a beautiful gift. So let me tell you about MeUndies, the only underwear that makes an amazing gift. It's a goddamn holiday miracle. This year, don't give underwear. Give me undies. So, Chloe, if you want to try me undies, if you want to put the softest underwear ever on your bottom. I want to. On your bottom. <laughs> this holiday season, you can get 20% off of the softest underwear and socks you'll ever wear with free shipping and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. So put your fanny in the panty, and if it doesn't work, they will give you your money back. MeUndies.com slash girlboss is where you can get 20% off. That's M-E-U-N-D-I-E-S dot com slash girlboss. Now I'd like to introduce you all to Kristen Bellstrom. Writer, editor, lover of magazines, at Fortune Magazine, Kristen is responsible for creating content about the issues that women are facing and amplifying the efforts of the incredible ladies who are trying to make things better for all of us. So you were born and raised on the East Coast, is that right? Yeah, uh, I grew up in Vermont, actually, in a little town called Townsend. Oh, cool. I've been to Vermont. I really like this town called Virgins. Have you been there? I don't think I have. I mean, the funny thing about Vermont is even though it's a tiny place, there are just like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of itty-bitty towns. So sometimes (laughs) you have never been to them, even though they're pretty close to you. I'm by the uh, Mount Snow, Stratton ski areas, which is usually the best point of reference for people. I was like, I used to drive there from Burlington. It's such a gorgeous drive. So tell me about your childhood. What was growing up in a tiny town in Vermont like? What did your parents do? What did you dream of being? My mom was a librarian. So I read many, many books, but I have now have horrible library hygiene. Like when your mom's a librarian, you don't have to check the books out. You just take them and read mm-hmm. them and keep them as long as you want. 
And my dad is a carpenter. He used to build houses, and then he started making beautiful furniture, which now I can't get him to make any more of for me, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. And you went to college at Duke, right? I did, yeah. I was really ready to get out of small-town New England, uh, which actually takes a lot of great schools kind of out of the running. And uh, my older cousin, who's a doctor, was uh, doing a residency in North Carolina when I was maybe in 10th grade or something. And I went down and stayed with her, and we toured some campuses. And it was maybe not the most scientific way to pick a school, but we went to the Duke Gardens, and they're just so beautiful. And the <laughs> campus is like absolutely like what you imagine a college campus to be. And uh, that was it for me. I was also like, oh, no winter, no snow. I'm in. That's amazing. Wait, so do you have a green thumb, or you just like plants? No, I just like being around them. I like other people mm-hmm. to care for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have maybe four or five plants that are still alive in our apartment right now. I I tend to kill several each year, but they're nice to have around. And you studied political science in undergrad. Well, I mean, kind of funny. I I was really (laughs) – I thought I was going to study journalism when I got to Duke, and this is how unprepared I was for college. I got there and realized there was no journalism program. Oh, wow. Kids, (laughs) read the website before you sign up. So I ended up uh, studying political science, which was really, I mean, it's great. It's really fascinating um, and actually not in any way that I planned, but has been helpful in, in my life and in my job. Yeah. And you went into a master's of journalism at, at Columbia. Tell me about that. When I graduated, I just basically, I knew I liked media, but I, you know, I, I actually went and worked at a law firm. I was bad at it, did not enjoy it. So then I had a bunch of various jobs. I worked at a TV station for a while, and I ended up doing some PR, and I was just horrible at it. I didn't like it. I didn't believe in a lot of the stories that I was pitching, but I really did love working with journalists, and I loved writing. So I kind of like got shepherded into that part of the business where I was you know, doing all the writing, and I just thought... I'd be much happier if I were actually on the other side of this arrangement. Mm -hmm. So I decided to um, go to journalism school and I went to Columbia thinking, you know, I I wanted to work in New York afterwards. I was very interested in working in magazines, Um, but it was a weird experience. I mean, I I, I think initially I wanted to work in women's magazines, but that is, it's a pretty unusual thing to want to do in journalism school. Everybody wants to be a foreign correspondent. And at least at the time, maybe it's changed, uh, I felt like I sometimes had a hard time getting people to take those aspirations seriously. So did you go into women's magazines? I, You know what? I didn't. I, I looked at a bunch of those jobs, but I, I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to spend some time as a writer. And, and it's not super typical for women's magazines to have on-staff writers. You tend to go in as an editor. Mm-hmm. And they use a lot of freelance writers. So I really ended up just taking the first real writing job that I came across, which was at a magazine called Smart Money, uh, which no longer exists, unfortunately. It was partially owned by Hearst and partially owned by uh, Dow Jones. Hmm. I like had a great time there. I had very weird beats. They hired me to write this like sort of quasi-celebrity product review column, <laughs> which was really um, strange and a lot of fun. And then I ended up covering travel for them, which is obviously an amazing beat. So you've almost 
exclusively worked outside of women's magazines, which is seems like it's relatively hard to do unless you're doing like really serious reporting. Yeah, like being in-house at a magazine. Like there's just so many more women's publications then. I think that's true. And I also think that until pretty recently, if you were interested in writing about women, that was kind of the only way to go. Um, you know, now pretty much every publication is covering women. And so many of the huge stories that are happening right now are related to women and often women in the workforce. So you're seeing, I think, basically every news outlet staffing up and thinking about, you know, coverage of gender and, and women and women in the workforce as really important issues and things that they should be covering. But to me, that feels very new. Uh, that that kind of be didn't really feel like it existed when I first started. And, and now I feel like it, it feels like one of the hottest areas. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I am one of the what is it? 40% open rate? I'm like one of the 40% of your daily openers of the broadsheet. And it's just, it's such a resource for anybody. I mean, women and men, I've forwarded it to my boyfriend and I hope he subscribed, but it's something that everybody should be reading. But, and I want to talk more about what you're, what you're doing at Fortune and the broadsheet, but I want to go back to your college days. Did you work during college? I worked in the summers. Uh, I was very lucky to not have to work during the school year. Uh, but in the summer, I mean, you know, one thing that I would do differently if I could do it again is I would do, I would probably intern more and do more, you know, try to take advantage of things related to maybe where my career would go. But really, I was just making money. <laughs> so I did a lot of uh, waitressing primarily, <laughs> which I, I mean, more power to people that are good waitresses. That's yet another thing that I was not great at and <laughs> removed from my list of possible uh, career options. Uh, but that's usually how I how I spend my time when I wasn't actually in classes. And then your first job out of college, was that smart money? No, my first job out of college, I worked at a TV station in San Francisco. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was, I was the weirdest job. It was crazy. It was actually really fun. I had this job where I was a basically a production assistant on local commercials. So I worked for this producer that would you know, those like really cheap, low budget commercials that you mm. see on like a local station. Yeah. So a lot of times like, you know, it would be my hand like typing on the computer or like the back of my head walking somewhere because we would have no budget to actually hire talent. Wow. Applying yourself. <laughs> <laughs> it was really fun uh, <laughs> doing things like location scouting and um, just learning all the aspects of, of what goes into into that. And it, it got me sort of journalism adjacent because, I you know, I didn't work in the newsroom, but I was close to it. And that was, you know, yet another thing that made me think um, that maybe journalism was the right thing for me. Is there any position or experience that you can think back on that at the time didn't seem like it was teeing you up for where you are today, but you remember, you know, for me it was you know, working at Barnes and Noble in high school and being told to point with an open hand like this way <laughs> and actually walking someone over to something rather than like pointing and being like, you know, the the political science sections over there with like a 
finger pointing, you know, just small things like that, that I've, you know, remembered through my career and most of my career as like a retailer. Is there something you can think back on that was an early job that just didn't seem like it was adding up to where you are today, but that you take some some lessons like that from? Yeah, I mean, I would say that one thing I really learned to do at the TV station was uh, deal with like just a very large variety of people. When I was working as a production assistant, you know, you'd be dealing with, you know, the talent, whoever you had hired, the uh, actors. And then sometimes you we would get sort of like local celebrities to do things with us. Plus, I'd be dealing with sort of like the back the, behind the scenes logistics of just getting all the paperwork for us to shoot someplace, plus the technical people. And, you know, I mean, I think that's one of the things that I love about you know, being a reporter, honestly, is that you just end up working with and communicating with so many different kinds of people. Mm -hmm. And you have to just kind of uh, be open to saying, hey, I actually don't know anything about how your particular job works or your particular (laughs) industry works. Tell me about it. And I think that, you know, that's probably something that I started to learn in that role. Mm -hmm. But it's a funny way to that's a really interesting way to think about your early jobs. For me, it was a lot of really just figuring out what I was good at and what I wasn't good at. Mm -hmm. Because I I feel like the biggest piece of career advice that no one ever gave me that I wish they had is figure out what you're good at and just lean into that. Mm -hmm. Working is so hard and building a career is so difficult that it just adds to it if you are fighting against your strengths. Yeah, I agree. And it's easy to resent the things that you have to do that aren't your strengths, which, you know, I think some of us who, you know, as much as we can focus on our our strengths and our roles, we find ourselves doing things that are that feel inessential or outside of our talents. And mm. I think that's challenging for everybody, but kind of is like the dues we pay kind of endlessly in some way. And I think when you're early on in your career, it's easy to to think that you just get to do like the stuff that you're good at or the fun stuff. <laughs> um, but I agree with you. Um, and it's a, it's, it's sometimes a hard thing to tap into, which is kind of why those early jobs I think are so important to help guide us to, you know, what, what we're good at and what we're really, really not good at. Yeah. Cause no one's good at everything. Well, and I, I think for, for certain types of people and, you know, this is a generalization, but we write about the research a lot and it backs it up. For women in particular, sometimes it can be easier to focus on what you're not good at mm-hmm. and harder to to identify your strengths and not be afraid to point them out as things that you're really great at. Mm-hmm. So I think building your career on something that you do does feel like a real talent for you allow it gives you that confidence to stretch and and try to try things that maybe you're not going to be good at right away and to learn to do new things. Yeah. I like to say it's like throwing yourself against the wall like spaghetti to see like what sticks. (laughs) So tell me about your role at Fortune. How long have you been at Fortune magazine? Did you join as the deputy digital editor? How long have you been at Fortune? Uh, I'm coming up on three years. Um, It went very quickly. It's kind of amazing. Uh, I didn't start in my exact role that I have now. My role is sort of I don't know, grown and spread <laughs> over the time that I've been there. Uh, I was hired as a senior editor and primarily, I think, uh, to write the broadsheet, our, our newsletter uh, about the world's most powerful women, but also to build out our sort of day-to-day content on on working women. 
which is something that had existed, but it hadn't had a really a dedicated editor before they, they brought me in. So I started with that. And um, over the three years I've been there, I've become more involved in the larger, most powerful women universe. <laughs> and and also on the site, uh, I, they, I became the deputy digital editor, I want to say maybe just like three months ago. So that's a pretty new role for me. So were you contributing, were you just purely focused on digital before then? Or were you in a less broad role three months ago? Yeah, I was. It was, you know, I was really focused primarily on digital and primarily on our uh, women and work coverage, Mm -hmm. uh, which is still honestly my baby and the thing I probably spend the most time on. But uh, I, I sort of work more broadly across the site on, you know, all the different things that we cover now. And I also have sort of branched into doing a little bit more magazine work, which was, you know, really where I came from. I came up as a magazine journalist. I co-ran with another editor our Most Powerful Women issue this year, which has our our list of the 50 Most Powerful Women in Business and uh, a big feature package about a a number of different uh, women in business. Fortune created the Most Powerful Women as a cover package in 1998 with a simple idea that women were gaining significant power in the corporate world and had become a lot more interesting than in the old days when women leaders, to thrive, had to behave like dudes. Fortune's annual Most Powerful Women list ranks the top 50 women in corporate America. The women are measured on four criteria, the size and importance of her business in the global economy, the health and direction of her business, the arc of her career, how quickly she's moved up and where she's likely to go from here, and social and cultural influence. From the women that we cover, we do try to keep, it's, it's kind of a strange role because we do try to keep a journalistic sort of distance from them to some extent. I certainly have internalized a lot of great advice from them over the years and interviewing them and writing about them. I am inspired by all of them. I mean, one of the most amazing things about (laughs) covering particularly women in these Fortune 500 companies, CEOs of these Fortune 500 companies, is it's just completely shocking how rare it is still. In the Fortune 500 this year, there were uh, we had an all-time high of 32 female CEOs, which is mm. out of 500. So wow. it just drives home for me every day that, you know, there is progress being made, but it's really so incredibly rare for women to get those roles. And, you know, we need to remind people of that all the time. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I do agree that more women should be in the CEO roles, but at the same time as someone who has been a CEO, and I guess I am again to a much smaller team, um, part of me is like, no, 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 you don't want that job. Like, <laughs> no, just like it's it's worked out well. Like, mm. And that's not, I mean, it, I think CEO ends up being the de facto word for like women advancing in the workplace rather, you know, and it's like a it's like a measure of, of like how far we've gotten. But um, that is it's one role where, you know, you are an example f- for greatness and you're like a bit of a martyr personally because it's just mm. such a such a challenging position. And I can't even imagine what it's like in a Fortune 500 company. Maybe easier, maybe harder. Maybe you have a fleet of private planes. I don't know. <laughs> I do think you have a fleet of private planes. But one thing <laughs> that I have definitely learned from talking to these women is that they do not sleep and they do not stop. So, uh, you know, I think for mm-hmm. a, a lot of people, 
you know, women and men, that is not necessarily the goal. I don't, I would not want that job myself. Uh, but I do think it's important that we have women out there doing that for, for those people who do. I so agree. That they, they can see it's possible. I agree. And I hope I'm not being too controversial by just saying, <laughs> I don't think ca- so. Be careful also, what you wish for. <laughs> yeah, I also think, you know, I mean, we see that obviously the, the Fortune 500 is not the only place to be. You know, we see many, many more women pursuing the entrepreneurial route and mm-hmm. you know that can open up completely different doors and if you don't see the type of job you want you can create it for yourself which is is amazing we'll be back with Kristen in just a moment but first i'd like to talk to you about how much better my daily routine has become since i started using parachute towels do you know about Parachute? I'm familiar with them just because they just do such a good job. Branding, on point. Yeah. Website looks great. I yeah. know. And their products are incredible. So take it from an art director and take it from a woman who collects a lot of water because I have so much body hair and really need absorbent towels to dry off with. Parachute towels are made in Turkey using the finest long staple cotton sourced from the Aegean region. That's like Greece-ish. They're also responsibly manufactured. So they're all natural. There's no harmful chemicals or synthetic softeners. They're beautiful, minimal, natural color palettes inspired by Venice Beach. And the towel cotton collection includes towels, bath sheets, hand towels, washcloths, anything you need to like scrub, dry, blot, absorb yourself or anything that a towel might need to be used for. And Parachute has partnered with the UN Foundation to donate malaria prevention bed nets. That's And they've donated over 16,000. It's amazing. Parachute offers a 60-night trial. So if you don't like it, just send it back. And anything that's returned gets donated to Habitat for Humanity. So visit ParachuteHome.com slash GirlBoss. That's P-A-R-A-C-H-U-T-E dot com slash GirlBoss for free shipping and returns. That's ParachuteHome.com slash GirlBoss. Now back to Deputy Digital Editor at Fortune Magazine and Editor of the Broadsheet, Kristen Bellstrom. You've been in the magazine world for a very long time, and you're on the digital side now, but all of the headlines are like, the world is changing. Facebook, you know, is eating the world. Like, you know, media is like confused. WPP is lost. Like, what do you see happening and where, I mean, just, hey, advice to someone who's who's new here. What do you see the change being caused by and what do you what do you think we have to look forward to in like the magazine and and, and digital publishing world? Yeah, well, I mean, I think you, everything you said about about Facebook and and also Google has completely changed the publishing world. I mean, I, you know, I haven't been in it as long as many of the people that I work with, but even the the amount of time that I have been, I've seen like just an enormous change. You know, I don't know. I think everyone is trying to figure it out. I mean, I think the one thing that I'm not worried about is that uh, good journalism and great media is going to go away. I just I don't believe that that will happen. And it is encouraging me to me to see so many different people trying new things, because I think that's really what you have to do. Working myself at a, a company that that still you know produces print magazines, I mean we struggle with it all the time, but I still feel like 
the journalism that we're producing is great and something I'm really proud of. To me, the, the, the real key has just been rolling with change and not being afraid of change. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's something at all of our Fortune conferences, it's just like the drumbeat that goes through all of them. It's not just our industry. Every industry is being just completely, it's overused, but it is it's being disrupted right now. Mm-hmm. And no one can afford to assume that things will stay the way that they are in the future. Uh, and I think you can uh, either be scared of that or you can lean into it and try different things and, and know that you're going to try things that won't work, but that you will try some that will. Can you recall it something that didn't work at, at one point, like a mistake, blunder, failure, whatever you want to call it in your career as an editor? Well, I think, you know, here's a personal one just with the coverage that we have done at Fortune in our women in business area, I think it's taken us a while to figure out, you know, what is a story that our readers, what is a story for us? There are a million different places people can get their news from and a million places that are writing about women and workplace issues. And But what do the fortune uh, readers care about? And I think, you know, in some cases, we have done things that are a little outside of, you know, what they care about. And it just really has has not resonated with our readers. And I think it just reminds us to, to come back to the core and not try to be too broad. Not too broad for the broadsheet. I know. Gosh, I make that pun like at least Mar. three times a day. <laughs> no, it's, it's easy to do. It's kind of fun. So let's talk about the broadsheet. You know, with all the change that's happening in media, in digital media, there's this rise of newsletters, which I find so funny and cool, but also like so archaic. And I know. with all the noise on social media and distrust with these different platforms and Russia and blah, 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 you know, email newsletters are the most direct way to, I mean, communicate in some ways. And you can build such a loyal and engaged audience. Just for our listeners who may not know what the broadsheet is, what what is the broadsheet? So the broadsheet is a daily newsletter. We do at Fortune five days a week. Uh, that looks at the news. We define it as like the logline is the uh, news about the world's most powerful women. So that means women in business, but, you know, traditionally defined corporate business, but also women in sports, women in politics, women in entertainment, just really the news about what happened to women today. What's the process of putting it together like? I mean, you guys are doing this five days a week. How many editors are working on it? How do you guys cull the content that you think is like the most important in a given day? Yeah, um, it's, I mean, it's evolved. I think like anything that you do every day, you are just constantly tweaking to find the, the best possible way to do it. So when I started, I wrote it every day. And I had two editors that looked at it from sort of different perspectives. So I had one editor who really knew the subject area very well, and one editor who was just really excellent at newsletters. And now uh, we've changed it a little bit. I brought on a co-author, um, Valentina Zaria. Mm-hmm. She's been helping me out for, I mean, uh, the last couple of years, just sort of writing the newsletter when I was totally out of steam or when I was on vacation. But, you know, she's done a great job. So now we're really sort of 50-50 partners in it. So it's really now just the two of us. Whoever's not writing is the editor. We kind of pass it back and forth depending on our schedules. And uh, really, it's it's kind of funny. It's it's turned into a real all fortune, all reader joint process to to curate the news. 
Uh, we have a place, we have a Slack channel at work where everyone puts all the, the best links they see during the day. So that is really helpful for us. And I get a lot of suggestions from readers about stories that they'd like mm-hmm. to see in the newsletter, sometimes from women themselves when they get a new job or get promoted or someone writes about them, they send it over to me. And we just, you know, I try to think of it as we're never going to include every story. We're, we're trying to curate for you. And we want it to be the most interesting, the most relevant, probably a few stories in there that you might have missed if you just were, you know, reading sort of your basic news sources or maybe on Twitter, things like that. So we, we try to be as wide ranging as possible. For someone who's trying to build an engaged, hyper-engaged audience like yours, I mean, you guys have a 40% open rate and a 10% click-through rate. So if you guys listening don't know what that is, it's those are really high. A lot of marketers would die to have those kinds of numbers. What do you attribute that to? What have you learned through you know three years of now editing this this newsletter five days a week? Well, I mean, I think, first of all, it's just filling a need. I think women... And and as you said, not just women, we have a lot of male readers are looking for a place to see all these stories put together. Um, So that, I think, is point one. And then we try to make it feel as much like a community as, you know, as opposed to, say, me just talking at my readers. I really want to hear from them. And I think doing things like including the stories that they send to me or you know, ask when, when it's, whenever it's relevant, asking them questions and then including their responses. I, I think that that goes a long way. I think, you know, there's something, you know, you mentioned that the newsletters can feel really old fashioned and, and I think on some level they do, but I think there's just something very personal and immediate about being in someone's inbox every weekday at the same time, being part of their day, being part of their daily commute, where I, I think it really creates this very personal relationship. I mean, that's what I love about writing the newsletter. And that I think is what creates the engagement we have with our readers. It, it's kind of interesting. I uh, We just had our recently had our Fortune uh, Most Powerful Women Next Gen Summit, uh, which is one of our conferences. And I interviewed the two co-founders of The Skim. And I asked them that same question, because uh, mm-hmm. they, they do an amazing job at it also. And, you know, they talked about it in terms of authenticity. I don't know if that's the word I would use, because for me, that that can feel a little bit vague. But I think that's what they were getting at, this feeling that, you know, you you care about this news that you're presenting to your readers, and you're going to do everything you can to, to provide them with the best possible version of this newsletter. Kristen spends her day sifting through news that she deems worthy of bringing to the forefront for women readers. There must be so much to choose from. How does she select what she wants to amplify? Well, I mean, I think you cannot avoid sexual harassment as just an enormous yeah. topic. It's it's definitely something I I struggle with to some extent thinking about how to talk to the talk to my readers about it because First of all, it's just overwhelming right now. There are just so many stories that even just keeping track of all the stories on that topic is is pretty daunting. And I think it can be a little numbing mm-hmm. to to start your day every day reading about something as upsetting and traumatic as some of these stories. Uh, so I think that's very engaging but and important right now. But I'm also trying to to do my best to balance it with the type of content that might feel a little 
like a little brighter way to start your day. <laughs> um, so I, I feel like I, I'm spending a lot of time looking for happy stories as well as these really intense, but I think, you know, incredibly important. It's It's been very interesting to chronicle this as it unfolds. I feel like this is hopefully a world-changing moment that we're going through right now. That's what it feels like. What other issues would you say are the most pressing issues facing women at work today? I think there are a number of issues that affect women no matter how old you are, no matter how senior you are at work. When we try to cover those, I mean, you touched on one earlier when you mentioned uh, pay disparity. That is enormous. Mm-hmm. It affects all of us more than we even know. And I think it's really important to continue to talk about that, to highlight companies that are actually taking real measures to, to close that gap, and to talk about what causes it, which is, you know, much more, there's been a lot of really interesting research about that, and it's a lot more complex than you might think. So I think that is a big one. And then, you know, we try to also talk about things women can do in their careers. Uh, you know, we try to, we find that there, we get a lot of great response from things, you know, where we're giving people some advice that they can actually use, some sort of tactics they can apply themselves in their, in their jobs. Uh, whether that is, you know, talking about a promotion, talking about, you know, changing their work schedule, talking about the fact that they think that they're getting paid less than someone else. I think that is that feels very relevant and and really important to our readers. I mean, you mentioned a few things that we should be doing, but what do you think some of the most common mistakes that women make in the workplace are? There are a few that that kind of come up over and over again. I mean, I think one is not putting their hand up enough. We don't always put our hands up enough for promotions, for new jobs, to take on new responsibilities. You know, there's gosh, I should know this stat cold by now, but there there's some research that shows that, you know, men will apply for a job when they're like, I can't remember, it's between like 60 mm-hmm. and 70% qualified, something like that. And women want to be 110% qualified. Mm-hmm. So I think we talk a lot about taking risks and uh, not being afraid to, to try things that you don't necessarily feel totally ready for. Uh, but I think we can talk about it more because I think not enough people do it. And I would put myself in that camp. That's one thing I'm, you know, really pu- try to push myself on. And I think another thing that can be a mistake, uh, which I think is something maybe we're seeing corrected now, is not supporting other women as much as we could. Uh, I think that old feeling that there's like only room for one is completely outdated. And I think that there are a lot of little things that we can all be doing to help, you know, give credit to and promote and boost the ideas uh, of our female colleagues. So I want to talk about Fortune's Most Powerful Women, the conference and the Next Gen conference, the list. Tell me about the Most Powerful Women conference. This is one of this is a very expensive conference. It's a very exclusive conference. Who's there? Who's on stage? What are the conversations like? And what is your role in Fortune's Most Powerful Women? It's it's now had its twentieth anniversary. It's been the list has happened. For the now list for is twenty year twenty has had its twentieth year anniversary, and the the conference I believe is one year behind it, um, but also coming right up on that. Wow. 
So Fortune Most Powerful Women Summit is um, it's a conference we do once a year, and it is a lot of a lot of CEOs, a lot of women from Fortune 500 companies, a lot of women also in fields like politics, in in nonprofits, in the arts. Um, it is an invite only conference, and. You know, one of the things I think that makes it unique, there are obviously many, many, many women's conferences out there, is uh, we don't program women's topics or issues. It's it's a business conference. All of our breakout or interview topics are something you might see at any other business conference. Of course, the issues uh, that really matter to women, also they come up naturally in the course of a lot of those decisions, but they are not sort of baked in to the way the conference is presented. Now in its 20th year, the Fortune Most Powerful Women's List is a must-read. These influential women are leading the charge and forging a path for all of us. In addition to overseeing Broadsheet and countless other responsibilities, Kristen is co-chair of Fortune's Most Powerful Women Next Gen Summit. The fourth annual event was just held last week in California and featured a group of game-changing executives, entrepreneurs, and innovators in business, along with leaders in government, philanthropy, education, and the arts, for a wide-ranging conversation. We just had our fourth Most Powerful Women Next Gen conference, which is for women who uh, maybe are working at startups, slightly smaller companies, or women who are in those Fortune 500 companies who, you know, maybe are headed for the C-suite but aren't aren't there quite yet. It's a little bit younger, and I would say, you know, maybe a little bit more uh, techie. And at that conference, I'm a co-chair, so I'm one of the organizers um, at the MPW Summit, uh, the flagship conference, I am a little bit more of a backstage role. I run our editorial at those conferences. So I have slightly different roles in the two of them. What does the word powerful mean to you? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's like such a philosophy. I've like battled with this word power for so long because – and we even had at the Girl Boss Rally the word, you know, mm-hmm. power is not given to you. You have to take it. It can be a dirty word. It can be – really great inspiring confidence building word but there's something just very like kind of polarizing about the word power yeah I mean I I laugh because uh Patty Sellers who uh was a fortune editor for many years and, and still is the director of our summits that's like one of her signature questions so it's funny to get oh, it funny um <laughs> To me, power, since since I took this job, honestly, power has become a much more positive word for me, sort of like the same with ambition. Like, I think now I totally own those terms in a way that maybe I would not have, let's say, five years ago. Hmm. And I think of power as having, you know, the ability to make change and to, to influence people who are in a position to make change. Uh, so I, I think of it as a word that says, you know, I am making decisions and I can change the world around me. Cool. And so there's this word that we kick around a lot, which is success. Mm. And what we are doing at Girl Boss is, you know, redefining success. We don't have the answers, but we're having a conversation with a you know generation of women about what that means, what that can look like, and all the things that contribute to us feeling successful or unsuccessful, be it work and money or beyond that in our personal lives, relationships, mental health and beyond. 
What would your definition of success be, Kristen? I mean, to me, I think success is so tied. This is probably unfair, but I feel like it's tied with contentment. I don't want to say happiness because that seems like almost uh, we we all know we're not going to be constantly happy in life. That's just mm-hmm. not how it works. Aww. But I think that's okay. You know, that would that in a way that would be boring also. Like what makes life interesting is there are ups and downs to it um, and there's struggle, but then the the plus side of struggle is accomplishment. So I think for me, success is feeling like I have some power in my career. I have some control in my career, but that it's not the only thing in my life. And I think that is something that is really, it's a difficult balance to strike probably for everyone, but it feels like particularly in New York media circles, it's a little bit difficult to have both of those things at one time. Before Kristen left, I asked her to tell me about her most recent girl boss moment. The girl boss moment that I feel like I had most recently then was uh, you know, we were in Laguna Niguel for our Next Gen conference, which was incredibly fun, but also a lot of work. And it, when we wrapped, I was like, I should probably go back to New York and go back to work. And I absolutely did not. I took the rest of the week off. I stayed in Los Angeles. I went to the Getty. I bought a new dress. Nice. Uh, I had a delicious dinner, and it was by far the best decision I have made in months. That's great. You know how you're, you know, you're in a conference, you're at a hotel, you're just eating whatever. You're literally just putting food in your body so you can yeah. survive. Yeah, you might as well be on a cruise ship. Yeah, yes. And this was like the first real break from that, and it was just the most perfect like fresh vegetable food to be eating in this moment when I needed it more than literally anything. LA is good at that. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on Girl Boss Radio. It was so nice chatting with you. Thank you. You too. Chloe. Yes. Thank you for joining me today on Girl Boss Radio. I know we'll have to get you on more podcasts. It's fun. I feel very official. You're a natural. Thank you. Yeah. I, I believe the word is ham. You're a ham. <laughs> so be sure to subscribe to Girl Boss Radio anywhere podcasts are found. Tell your friends, rate us in the Apple Store so we can get up there in the rankings above all the dudes' business podcasts. See you guys next week. Happy Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs>